0: I'm Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Councilwoman Sandra Sepulveda is a member of the Nashville Metro Council, and she just started her second four-year term. Now growing up, she didn't know that she would someday have a future in public service. We're really looking forward to hearing her story, and she is here with us now, Councilmember Sepulveda. Thank you for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville.
1: Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you for inviting
0: me. Really glad to have you here. All right, so let's go back to early life. Okay. You were born in California, Mm -hmm. the daughter of two Mexican immigrants. Yeah. Tell me about your folks. What were they like?
1: They are the hardest working people I know. So they were born in Mexico, and they immigrated to the United States when they were 15 and 16 years old um, and, uh, they met in California. Um, they've done it all. They've worked odd jobs. They've worked at retirement homes, picking flowers, factories. Um, and they got married really young. Um, my mom was, I think she was 18. My dad was 17. Wow. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That is very young. What do they tell you about those times being this young couple here in this new country?
1: You know, they don't talk a lot about <laughs> how <Really>? it was. <laughs> I don't know if that's like a every immigrant parent sort of thing. Um, they, they have let me know a couple of things here and there. Um, but it, it's just it's the same story every time. Like we worked hard and uh, I remember and, you know, still sending fa- money back to the family. And it's uh-huh. the same story every time.
0: Now, you are, are known as a pretty hard worker. You picked that up from your folks?
1: I I think so. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah.
0: What is it about working so hard that you know, it's interesting because my sister and I there's two words that we grew up thinking that were swear words, work ethic. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes we can work ourselves to the absolute bone and we don't take time to smell the proverbial roses and enjoy life. Mm-hmm. But what is it about working hard and accomplishing something that kind of makes you feel fulfilled?
1: Fulfilled is is a strong word. Yeah. <laughs> I I think it's more a a fear. Mm. Honestly, I think that's where I come from it. For um like for me it's the fear of letting my family down. Um their sacrifice not being worth it, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't want to. I want to make sure that I live up to the expectation of all of this mattered, and it's the same thing for counsel and for my day job, right? I don't want to let anyone down, um, and there are a lot of people who are counting on you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's what drives me more than anything.
0: Okay. Now, you are one of you have three siblings, right? Yes. Two older brothers and a younger sister. Yep. So you fall third.
1: Fall third, middle just, child. <laughs> just like me. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's great. Now, what did your folks? What did they want for you and your siblings as you all were growing up?
1: Uh, that, I mean, that's. So when I was getting ready to apply for college, my my dad didn't want me to go to college.
0: Mm.
1: He wanted me to go to work, uh, to help out, and it was given the family situation at the time. Um, So there was no real expectation of you must have this career path. It was, we need, we need your help and we need you to chip in.
0: What did that feel like when you Um, had that conversation, when he brought that to you?
1: I said, no, I was like, no, (laughs) um, I'm a rebel at heart, right? So if they tell me, um, not to do something or to do something, I tend to do the opposite of it. okay. It's just it's in my nature. I don't know why I'm like this. Um and I told him, no, and I think i I, I explained it a little bit to him. I was like my my goal is to to make more money, have a career, to be able to provide even more than what you're imagining. And it's gonna be a little expensive in the beginning. um but there was no, I picture you doing this. Mm. Um, and I guess that's, it's different, right? I come from a immigrant household and maybe it's different for everybody else, but it, this was my situation.
0: Now you moved here when you were five yes, to Nashville where did your family live before? California, did you move, live anywhere else?
1: Yes, Chicago. So we left California because one of my uncles was um, shot in a drive-by shooting. So we moved to Chicago and um, we lived on the South side. And um, there was a, a lot of violence going on at the time. And my dad didn't want my family, specifically my brothers to be around that. So we moved down to Nashville.
0: What are your early memories of Nashville?
1: Oh well, I the funny thing is I've always lived in a Latinx neighborhood. Like in California we did, in Chicago we did, and down here we did. So we moved here in the late nineties. Um and around that time we had such a like a wave of uh a wave of immigrants and specifically Latinx immigrants who were moving to Nashville. So I started seeing more familiar things pop up here and there. Um, so the, it, it wasn't, that part of it wasn't too hard.
0: What well, was hard?
1: Uh, later on in life, right? When you leave the neighborhood, that mm-hmm. was hard. So college was hard because I was going to Treveca, which was uh, much more white. Uh, than what I was used to right so I went to like I graduated Overton. Overton is one of if not the most diverse high school in metro so to go from all of that where you have international days and where you really get to know so many other different cultures but still have such a large presence of your own community there to go from that to um, a more white university where there's not a lot of you and um, they eat dinner way earlier. That, that was hard.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I do want to get to your college experience in a minute, but, you know, as you were coming up through Nashville Metro Public Schools, tell me about your experience. What was that like for you as you're going through school from kindergarten all the way to graduating Overton?
1: I didn't know English that well when I first started kindergarten, right? Um, and I went back and I found a report card which, where it's like, oh, Sandra's English is getting better and she's learning her phone number <laughs> and all that. Um, I remember it was hard um, to get people to pronounce my last name correctly. That was, I, I, I like vividly remember that, having to speak to the teachers about that. Um, and I was in the ESL, ELL program for a while and... Got lost in the system a little bit there and then made it to high school. And when it was time to decide if I wanted to, if I was going to apply for college or not, I was in the honors AP classes. And so I just saw other students, other friends who were applying. And I said, oh, I guess it's time to do that now. And... Just went to college.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you just went to college. Yeah. You're like, oh, you're just living your life. Sure. And you decide, hey, I, I think I should do this.
1: Yeah, I guess this is next.
0: What were your plans to, of study when you were applying?
1: Oh, I was a psychology major at first. Okay. Because I was thinking, what's going to make money that I can do um, that will be helpful? Right. And my first semester, I just, I was like, oh, I don't think this is for me. Yet. I should just study what I want and go from there and figure it out. And so I switched over to history
0: and political science. Well, it's appealing about history and the political science for you.
1: I've always enjoyed history. History just came easy to me. Even like taking tests, I could just retain um, so much information and learning just about the people that came before me and what they were able to ac- accomplish. History is, is about dreamers. Mm-hmm. Right and and people who, you know, made something out of nothing, and it, history is also about really bad people. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was the dreamers that got me.
0: Yeah, now you're talking to a fellow political science major. Yeah, one thing that I enjoyed about that topic, I had friends in college who maybe studied English mm-hmm. or um, business and finance. Most of their courses were in their specificity. Yeah. Right political science you're taking a little bit of everything mm-hmm. you know and i enjoy that i was in each department as well as the political science and political theory courses yeah. but we were in all departments did you really enjoy was your was your major your education like that where you got this wide range be able to dip your toe and to understand the basics of so many different practices and
1: yeah like economics comes into it yeah. like you you learn a lot about everyone
0: communication right?
1: yeah yeah it's a little bit of everything, and and I enjoyed that, too. I enjoyed it, but it was, it was also figuring out the systems that are in place. How do you make them better? What needs to change? What are the things that people know are wrong but continue to do them, right? And how it is that all of these things affect people's everyday life.
0: Mm-hmm. Was there a moment in college that kind of— you know, you're a history major, you're a political science major. Now, I know you may not have had intentions to get into public office, but that's kind of the track that a lot of people have taken, Then they they, own, they therefore then go to law school and then enter into the political realm. Was there a moment that sparked your political interest?
1: I, I mean, I always liked politics, but my whole goal was to work on campaigns. Okay, And I did that for a while. I told my parents I wasn't gonna run for office and I was not gonna go to law school, right? So I've already done one of those. Yeah. <laughs> but I I started working campaigns during college and I thought I'll graduate and, and just do this for a living. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? Like that That naive, like I have this light in me, everything's gonna go well. Um, and we all need that. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I tell the new council members, don't let that die. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just thought I'll, I'll have to like move around following campaigns and, and do it that way. But after I grad, well, my, my last semester, I got a call from my first campaign that I interned for that Mary Mancini had just been elected chair of the Democratic Party and do I want to intern my last semester, and then once I graduate go work uh, in operations in the office, and mm-hmm. I said yes. So I graduated on a Saturday, started work on a Monday.
0: What, you didn't give yourself the two-week nope.
1: break? <laughs> I did not.
0: It's that work ethic, huh?
1: Uh, I guess, I <laughs> yeah. guess.
0: So what fascinated you? What fascinates you about campaigning and working on the campaigns?
1: I don't know. It's just, it's so many moving parts. It's the communications piece. It's the fundraising piece. It's making connections with constituents, right? It's figuring out the math of it all to make it work to get you to the finish line. Mm. And like I went through the Kennedy phase. I call it the Kennedy phase. Oh, the, uh, Yeah. Did you go through it? I, some people tell me that that's not a thing. Ask <laughs>
0: not what you could do, what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country yeah. phase.
1: Yeah. I like, had one. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Just like when you get so inspired by a candidate who you believe is going to make the difference and is going to come in and make change, like that moves people and people have this hope, right? And hope is always the last thing to die. Mm. And if you could inspire like a whole group of people and actually get in there and do it, like that's that's amazing to me, that's amazing. All of that led me to politics.
0: Okay, now, you know, when I look at political campaigns, particularly like national political campaigns, who they've hired a lot of people who've been in the game for a while, they hire a lot of experts, they make some pretty idiotic campaign decisions. Yeah. And I say, this amazes me that these folks are getting paid so much money and they're obviously making very public mistakes. Do, do you ever get frustrated when you watch like campaigns from afar and say, you know, with your expertise yeah. and you're like, they're, they're messing up?
1: Yeah. Well, first you got to convince them that you're an expert, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, like, when I started on council, I would have to remind some of my colleagues, like, I, I might be younger than you, but I've been doing this longer than you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always tell candidates that I that I talk to that come to me for advice. Like, at the end of the day, it's your name on the campaign. Like, you are getting advice from everyone, but you have to be okay with the decision that is made. You could tell them no. You could absolutely tell them no.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Some of them don't. That's hard. That's yeah. hard to watch.
0: So you intern. You graduate. Mm -hmm. What was graduation like for you, given the fact that your dad didn't want you to do this? Obviously, he came around. What was it like for your family in graduation day?
1: So my sister actually told me more recently, in recent years, that my parents cried at my graduation. I didn't know that. (laughs) So (laughs) that's how that went. Yeah, I, I don't know if they're proud. I like to think that they are. I hope that they are. But we don't we don't talk about feelings really. So
0: you and your parents, me
1: me and my family. Wow. Yeah. So I think they they do things that show me that it was important to them and that they're proud. Uh, But specifically saying it, no. But they were they were all there.
0: What is what are some of the things that they do to let you know that they're proud of you and happy with with you, happy for you, and the way you've chosen to lead your life.
1: I think in, in so many immigrant households, I think it's, it's the same story, right? But they cut me fruit. They mm-hmm. uh, bring me a Mexican blanket because it was winter. They, um, you know, call me and say, have you eaten? Or, oh, get some rest. You know, small things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Small things. Um, they will never just say stuff, but they will do stuff.
0: How do you couple that? Seeing that from five years old, you're raised here in America, it's an entirely different way people have grown and accustomed to expressing themselves. How would you balance that as you're coming up getting older? I'm sure there were times where you wished your parents would have said something, but you've come to understand your parents on a deeper level, I feel
1: like. I'm like another culture from them as well, Mm. right? So, yes, I'm Mexican with them, and I'm American as well. I am Chicana. Right, which is a whole different culture. Yeah. And sometimes we don't understand each other in, in certain aspects, right? Like they don't understand why I feel the need to to fight for certain stuff. And they don't understand why it is that I for two years kind of silently protested making tamales during Christmas because they only expected the women to make them and not the men. Right. They don't understand certain things. Um, And that's that's difficult. But I think at the end of the day, there there is a specific understanding um, that I just I want to help out. Mm -hmm. And I think they understand that to a certain point.
0: We're going to go to break after this, but I have to ask, how did you protest for two years not being forced to make tamales?
1: I would just say I'm going to go take a nap.
0: And you take I, that and nap. I take that
1: nap.
0: <laughs> awesome. Yeah. All right, let's go to short break. When we come back, we'll talk with Councilwoman Sepulveda about what it was really like to run her first campaign. Stay with us. And this is Nashville. Today we are joined by Councilwoman Sandra Sepulveda. The Metro Council has 41 members, 35 are elected, and they do the day-to-day work of local government like adopting the city budget, levying local taxes, and making city laws and policy. Councilwoman Sepulveda, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, spoiler alert. We know that you were eventually elected to council. But before we start really getting into that, I do want to finish up where we kind of left off in the last segment you're interning Mm -hmm. you decide to get into politics what made you make that jump you never thought that you were going to get into it although you had kind of mastered the art you studied it you worked on campaigns what made you jump from working as a campaign worker to a candidate
1: i decided in a choice (laughs) really i was having lunch and i had People had approached me over the years telling me that I should run and I took a look at my district um, and compared it to other neighborhoods in town. We didn't have enough sidewalks. Uh, we shared books in school when I was in school and kids were still sharing books. Uh. Uh, we didn't see enough infrastructure going on and we didn't have someone that looked and sounded like the neighborhood of what it looked like now, right? So. While sitting at Chuy's getting lunch, I I just told uh, Chris Murphy, who was at the party at the time, I told him, you know what, I think I'm going to do it. And so I did. I was lucky enough to have known several people from campaigns and the party um, who were able to jump right in and, and start helping me.
0: So people were telling you for a while, hey, Sandra, you should run. You should run. Yes. Why? Did they see a candidate in you? What I, did they tell you?
1: I I have no idea.
0: <laughs> really,
1: they're like they're like we think you can run. We think you will win. It's gonna be an open seat. You should do it. You we need we need someone who understands. And I guess they wear you down enough, or you get over that imposter syndrome a little bit, mm. and then you make the choice.
0: Were you? During your when you were working on campaigns during meetings, were you the one giving impassioned speeches to newbies and new people trying to teach them? (laughs)
1: No, I uh, it is only now that I have become more confident. Right. I'm a very shy person to begin with. Uh, I'm the person that hangs out by the wall. Uh, and waits for somebody to come to them. Mm. That is uh, my routine at every event I go to, even now. So I was working with a bunch of interns, right? Like the people that I would ha- be having these speeches with are interns. Mm-hmm. It, the imposter syndrome was, oh, I don't know enough like them, or they've had more experience or they have more years. But with the interns, I'm like, I, I know a little bit more here. So I'll, I'll give you some advice.
0: Yeah. Okay. What were the first steps when you officially launched your campaign?
1: Campaign manager. Um, so finding, finding your team, um, figuring out what the district looks like, uh, the demographics, the partisanship score, uh, figuring out what the budget's gonna be making those lists of donors that you need to call, those supporters, figuring out the media strategy, getting the website up. It's a number of steps that you have to go through right before you announce. But I knew that I was gonna be running against someone who had previously held that seat for that district back in the Mm eighties. And then she went to the state ledge. And so she was just leaving the state ledge and running for this seat again. So I knew I had to start earlier and start knocking doors sooner. Um, so we started in January um, and it was it was a very long campaign.
0: You got to jump on it. Yes. Tell me a little bit about District 30.
1: Well, I grew up there. Right. Yeah. So I've lived there since I was five. Um, it's one of the smallest districts because we are so dense Right, it has the largest Latinx population in the whole city. Large immigrant community. It's 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 been home for a very long time. It's been home, but it had been neglected for 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 a long time. We were one of the only districts without a library, community center, or park. But honestly, it's 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 one of my favorite places.
0: So, what makes you love it so much? What makes it one of your favorite places?
1: I think it's seeing how much it's changed right but also how it hasn't like some of my neighbors uh, are still the people I went to school with I knew the crossing guard and the crossing guard and her family became a close family friend and seeing some of these businesses that have been around forever see more people from the community come and shop there it's I couldn't I mean I leave my apartment walk across the street and I could get Tacos and buy groceries go to the bakery like it's all there.
0: hmm I know one thing that for politicians seems a little bit weird is Campaign fundraising hmm when you had to place those first calls What was that like who did you call and what were those conversations like <laughs> were you comfortable coming to people said hey? You may have called them perhaps for another person's campaign to raise funds, but for yourself What was it like?
1: Oh, it's hard. It's, it's it's one of the hard. I would rather be knocking doors all day than making fundraising calls. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. like, but in the beginning, they make you make a list. It's like your Rolodex. These are your friends, family, people that you know will give you money. Those are the first people you call. There, There's this rule, and they told me this rule early on. If you can't ask your family and friends for money, then you have no business asking other people for money. Mm. Um, and so I would have to call them that was the easy part it was then going to the people that donate to campaigns all the time and the other politicians um those were hard because they had this relationship with my opponent that i didn't have right for years and so they were like i like you but i can't donate to you because i have a relationship with her Mm -hmm. so the majority of my money came from sponsors like the the endorsements from unions mm. and from other, you know, organizations. That's where the majority of it came from.
0: And you knocked on, how many doors did you think, did it you, was, think you knocked it
1: on? It was around 7,000 doors.
0: 7,000 doors.
1: Yeah, uh, people got real tired of us uh, because we were knocking these doors so many times. People would just be like, they'd open the door and like, no, we're good. You've already came. Somebody came yesterday and... And they they got tired. <laughs> mm
0: mm-hmm. But you're working full-time while you're doing this.
1: Yeah. So during lunch, I would um, go to a coffee shop and do fundraising calls there. And then once I got out of work, I would head straight to the district to go knock doors. mm mm-hmm. um, So we did that every day.
0: How'd you make it through those tough days?
1: Well, I told my team, like, I know what works for me. And so... When I'm talking to candidates, the first thing I ask them is, like, how do you want me to talk to you? What's going to motivate you? And for some people, it's, I need you to tell me I'm doing a great job and this is all going well. That motivates me. For me, I told my team, I need you to let me know and tell me that I'm doing a bad job, that I'm going to let everyone down, that all of this work and volunteer time was for nothing because I'm going to lose. And uh-huh. that's what motivated me. If you're motivated-
0: The fear of letting everyone down motivated you to keep going.
1: Yeah, I don't know if that's good. I don't think it's good. Um, It's worked. It it worked. It's worked. It did work. Maybe
0: it's not sustainable. No. But it worked. Okay, so election night happens. There's a runoff that has to happen.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So several weeks later, you're in a runoff. On that night, where were you when you found out that you won?
1: So they put you in a room. Right. So my my watch party was at my childhood home out Mm. in the front yard. My family was cooking out front and supporters were out there. They had me in a room um, to receive the information. And what they wanted was to make sure that I could take it in. So if I lose, I could process that on my own. And if I won, I would process it there. So I'm sitting in the room with my campaign manager and my friend, and we're getting the results in from early voting. And it is when the results start rolling in from early voting that I figured out that I had won. And so it's just tears, just automatic tears. Like it it was a long, hard campaign. It was the second hardest thing I've ever done. And then you have to snap out of it because you have to go make a speech. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So they told me like, remember to think these people and and make sure to hit this. And so you're like trying to make a a speech quickly in your head. And so I go out into the front porch. Um, By that time, there were two bus loads because Turk Votes had um, a watch party bus thing going on where they were um, like party hopping that night. And so they got there just in time because uh, they pulled up two busloads and my family and all the supporters are there. And I come out onto my front porch and make a speech. And it was a little surreal. It was a little surreal.
0: Yeah, yeah, nothing prepared.
1: Nothing prepared.
0: Did you feel like the folks at the Oscars or the Grammys trying to remember? Folks yeah, yeah as the, the music's gonna
1: start playing. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was. I had nothing prepared. The good thing is that it was dark, so I couldn't really see many faces in front of me. Uh-huh. I, I think that would have made it a little bit harder if I would have like locked eyes with my family.
0: Okay, so you win. You give this very surreal speech. Here you are in this moment. Now it's time to get to work. Mm-hmm. You're this council member, the youngest elected ever, a minority representative at that. What were some of the first things that you did as you were learning to be a council member and get get accustomed to that?
1: I mean, the work starts immediately. Well, it did for me at least, right? So you close out the campaign that night next morning. You're calling everyone who supported you, thanking them for everything that they did. But then very early on, within, I think, two, three days, I get a call about, um, and I can't remember what it was specifically now, but it was some issue having to deal with immigrants. And it was at that moment that I realized what my role was gonna be, which meant that I was gonna take on a lot of, all of this, mainly on my own. Mm. There was Zolfat, right? Zolfat is also, was also, uh, has an immigrant background and it's just the two of us, but being the only Latina, like you get specific calls. And I realized that I was gonna go, be the go-to person. So everything, if you do well, it reflects positively on your community. And if you fail, then your community fails. Mm. And then that's that's a heavy burden to bear. It's, it's a burden we shouldn't bear, Yeah. but we are. So there were specific things I wanted to work on, um, you know, helping immigrants, helping my district uh, with the infrastructure, you know, having enough money for schools and worker rights. Um, And so I had to develop a plan very quickly and very early on to get to work.
0: Who were your most trusted confidants at that time?
1: It was several people from the party, several community members, uh, Fabian Bendy being the first Latino to win. Mm -hmm. Um, I met with him early on to get his perspective, to hear his experience, to see what had worked, what hadn't. Uh, There were council members who were starting their second term. One of them asked me to lunch, and we developed this friendship, and he gave me great advice. Um, So a lot of second-termers stepped up as well.
0: Now, in your work, you became a staunch advocate for workers' rights. You introduced the Get It Right Bill. Yeah. Why did you bring that to the table? What were you seeking to do?
1: My family, I have several family members who work in construction, Um, So I I know what it's like when people get hurt on job sites and when people are being taken advantage of. And so wanting to protect workers who make up such a big population in my district was important to me. These are are my people. People just want to make a living. People want to get home safe and, um, you know, provide. And we live in a state that is very hard on workers and that they don't protect them. And so what I wanted to do is give workers a voice and give them an opportunity and so we started tackling you know the procurement side of it and the way contracts are awarded and the state came in and preempted us um, but there were a couple of things that we were able to keep and the work's not done obviously I, I have a, a lot of plans mm-hmm. uh, for these last four years but Workers are what make this city run and Nashville needs to work for its workers
0: Let's talk about what happened with the Metro fair board. I understand there was a controversial appointments going on out there And this is the board that oversees the Nashville fairgrounds there ended up being a lot of controversy about an appointee to the board Can you kind of briefly tell me what happened?
1: Yeah, so the administration didn't make the appointment in time which kicked it over to the vice mayor And for a very long time, um, I was advocating, not just me, but other council members had advocated for a Latinx person to be appointed to the board. And it was because the stadium was going to be built there. It was finishing up, right? Um, We had a situation with the Mexican rodeo that was there during COVID. Um, And the neighborhood, the surrounding neighborhood was growing in, in Latinx population. I mean, it's along the Nolensville corridor. So for all those reasons, we were pushing. Um, and up to that point, the, the board is all white. Um, so when it came time for the vice mayor to decide who to appoint, um, he decided to appoint um, a, a black woman. And um, ultimately that failed. And then he, he had another opportunity to appoint someone else again. And he appointed another black woman. And ultimately it, it divided the council. with It divided the minority caucus for a bit. Um, and there are still very much hurt feelings. Uh, we did get someone Latinx eventually appointed to the board. But not without quite a few scars along the way.
0: I'm going to take one quick break, but I do want to get back to that when we come back from this short break. When we come back, we'll talk with Councilwoman Sepulveda about the day-to-day reality of being a council member. Stay with us. This is Nashville. And this is Nashville. We're talking today with Nashville Metro Councilwoman Sandra Sepulveda, who was recently reelected to her seat in the fall. We're going to turn our attention to what it's like working in local government in a second, but I do want to talk a little bit more about the Fairgrounds piece that we ended the last segment with. You said that it kind of, in certain ways, created tensions within the minority caucus. In Metro Council, it's already difficult for the minority caucus in Metro Council Mm -hmm. to begin with. This fairgrounds appointment debacle, is it fair to call it that?
1: I would call it that. Okay. It
0: created tensions. What was it like in repairing those tensions?
1: Um, It's it's taken some time. It has taken uh, some time, and we're still working on it, right? We are in a much better place. Um, but someone said said this to me, like, when all you give to minority are scraps, they're mm. gonna fight over it. um, and I understand where some of my colleagues were coming from, right? They didn't feel comfortable voting down to black women um but I had also asked them before, before they were even nominated to stand with me and support a Latinx nominee. Mm. And I think that's important, right? Because we're the minority caucus, right? We're representing entire minority communities, not just one. Um, And so we've done a lot of work uh, to get to a better place. But we also started the immigrant caucus because there's just some things that that, you know, certain people are going to be able to speak on because of lived experiences.
0: I think about it because a lot of folks, they see politicians, elected officials, but they don't they, they, tend, they quickly forget that you all are human beings, mm-hmm. you know, you mm-hmm. go through things. There can be something that happens between, mm-hmm. you know, certain members of the minority caucus that creates some tension and friction and it can take a while for them. They forget that. And so, you know, kind of remind my, not just me, but our listeners, like, what's the actual day to day? What is it like? To be a council member. Everyone has their opinions on what they feel you all should be doing mm-hmm. or what you could have done better. Mm-hmm. But what is life like for you?
1: It's hard. It is hard. Um and and I and I try different things to remind people that we're human, right? That's why I started the TikTok. One, to make fun of my colleagues, yes. Okay. That is a big part of it. But to humanize us a little bit, to make it interesting, to have people see us as You know, we're also community members. We're also regular people. Um, And what that means is we also have day jobs, right? So we're doing our day job and we're doing all of this on the side. Really, I don't understand people who run for office for the name recognition or to receive perks. There's not a lot of perks in this, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And, like, it's so much work that I think it weeds some of those people out. Because we have to dedicate so much time to it. And I guess I'm lucky and unlucky in a way because my colleagues also have to deal with, you know, raising families and having kids and having spouses. Um, and so they have to balance all of that every single day and every single day we have a number of calls and a number of meetings that we have to have. And you have to organize your meetings around your work schedule. And, you know, weekends aren't free all the time. Um, Some of my colleagues have figured out the formula. Right. And they have like date night once a week. And I'm like, oh, you guys are the best. (laughs) Um, But like there are still several of us who still struggle even in our second term. So, I try and sit down. I tr- I have tried to sit down with um a number of first term council members to be like like just like pick pick what you're passionate about and work on that. You can't do everything and you can't please everyone and you're going to get it wrong eventually.
0: When was the last time you gave yourself a weekend off?
1: Mm. <laughs> Uh, I can give myself a day off. Uh, I will work on weekends as well. But I guess if it gets late, late into the night, then I'll go to karaoke. That's my
0: (laughs) karaoke. Yes. What's your go to song?
1: Oh, I have a number of them. Uh, I'll sing a Selena song, Mm -hmm. So Como la Flor. I'll sing Creep. I'll sing Hotel California. You name it. I, I have a whole list, but I'll do that or I'll go to a soccer game. I can't take a whole weekend off. There's just too much to do. But I could take a couple of hours off. Yeah.
0: No you know, vacation. Nothing.
1: Vacation. Y- yeah, you get vacation. Um, it, you, that's right. That'll count. It'll be a couple of days that you could take off and and go somewhere. Yeah. But you have to schedule that around council because for council, we only have one month off every four
0: years. Wow. Mm -hmm. You know, there's been a lot of talk about self-care, given the fact that you have such a, uh, well, it started off as a fear-based work ethic. Now it's passion-based, I imagine, of why you do what you do and work so hard. What have you learned about the importance of being a public official who feels responsible for so many people in your community, the need to take care of yourself?
1: I get yelled at, so I, <laughs> I, I get yelled at by friends. Um, I do. I know I have to take care of myself, and I know that we all do. Um, but when you are holding such a high, like a big responsibility, um, it's hard not to just keep going. Mm. Uh, eventually, you will burn out. Um, but it it's it's hard. Like honestly, it's hard, and I. Uh, you'll feel resentful at some point and um i yeah and i and i told this to some people right the it's great doing this job is a privilege and being the first uh is cool right and all but mm. it shouldn't have been me first there should have been a number of people that came before you and when that didn't happen, you're creating roadmaps and you're being an example for this new wave of candidates that are also coming down the pipe who are also Latinx. Cause, because running as a as a Latinx candidate is different than running as a regular candidate, right? Like I had people that tell, told me I wasn't white enough, mm. that I wasn't Latina enough. Um, and you're never going to be good enough for everybody. And at some point you just have to accept that this is who you are and keep going. Uh, And so I try and do the self-care thing, right? I'll go to the soccer games, I'll go to karaoke. I'm trying to drink water every day. Uh, I've started vitamins every day, that's new. Yeah, but sleep, sleep isn't there. Um, Yeah, I think we're all just trying to figure it out as we go. No one's perfect, Um, but as long as I'm here, I'm gonna try and do the
0: best that I can. Uh, Look, personally, I've been working on my sleep, and I just started taking vitamins at the beginning of the year, so we're on on the same train. (laughs) If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil LaColona. We're talking this hour with Council Member Sandra Sepulveda. Now, you know, you've been this trailblazer. You are the first, although Mm -hmm. you shouldn't have had to be, Mm -hmm. but you were the first, and that's drawn a lot of attention. People love you and support and believe in what you do, but there's also those that don't. And you've shared that you've received a lot of negative, frankly fr- hateful, feedback, especially in online comments. Yeah. Can, if you're comfortable with it, can you tell me exactly what that's looked like?
1: So it's been a lot of go back to Mexico. It's been a lot of like anti-immigrant. Um, I was called the communist. Mm. Uh, it, it's it's been. Hateful racist things I've heard throughout my four years. That's not new. What's What's new is how much more aggressive it's getting, Um, and not just for me, but for other colleagues as well. Uh, To the point of there are threats being made, and so we we're gonna have to have an honest conversation of when do these when do certain comments get elevated up, Um, and reports be filed. Um, and also we have to talk about certain colleagues receiving, uh, detail for a period of time when certain Mm -hmm. legislation is introduced. Um, because it's hard, it's, it's hard and it's ugly and it's an experience that not all of my colleagues go through. Um, but there are a few of us.
0: Do you feel that this 2024 election, which is, probably going to get pretty hot do you do you are you worried about that uh,
1: yeah i i think i think it it will increase for a period of time but i think it has been at this consistent level for for a number of years now um and, and that's hard right like our when you're a public figure and people can find you online and in person like finding you in person that's that's the tough part too um Yeah, I guess we all have to be a little bit more careful. Mm -hmm. But but I don't want them to win either. Um, I don't want to not speak on something because I have fear. Yeah, I don't
0: want that. It kind of goes back to the JFK moment, right? Yeah, and like not to be afraid to Mm -hmm. get out there and to speak on things, no matter what you're facing. Yeah. Now, you know, you you've shared that you feel like you have to be a representative and a role model. Mm-hmm. for your community and the expectation to to be out there to help and to set this guidance. I mean, you are. you you set the precedent already here at Metro Council. And I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people to run for office after you, following mm-hmm. in on your lead. How do you know if you feel like you've done enough?
1: That's a million-dollar question, really.
0: <laughs> That's why they pay me the semi... Well, they pay me.
1: Oh, they'd be. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I and I wrestle with this question, right? Because then people ask me, "Are you going to run for at large?" Or, like, when is the job done? When have you accomplished everything you want to accomplish? I don't know. I I don't know what that looks like. I don't. I don't know when you feel. Like, yes, now I could step away. Everything has been accomplished. Everything is done. There's there's so much to be done. And I always feel like there is more I could be doing. But what gets in the way is sleep and eating mm-hmm. and and all mm-hmm. of that. And and so you I'm learning to delegate. That's new for me. um, But I, I don't know when when it feels like you success i don't know what that i don't know what that is like
0: you have all this experience working in the public sector Mm -hmm. for people there's a lot of people who've lived in nashville their entire lives a lot of people who are moving to nashville and they want to be a part of something they want to help what would you advise people as far as what citizens and constituents can do to not only give themselves more knowledge on local government, to be active, to help you and all the other Metro Council members to enact, to create the type of change that we're all talking about that we want. What would you advise people who are sitting at home now listening, what they can do a little bit more, how they can help?
1: I would say get plugged in, right? Um, In some places, a small group of people are speaking for an entire community. So if you don't attend those community meetings, go to the those neighborhood association meetings, go and speak on the budget. Um, other people are speaking for you. Don't let them do that. Like, even if you send us an email, even if you don't have time to be there in person or make a phone call, um, but let us know where you're at. Because honestly, I need help. I can't, I can't do this by myself and I don't wanna do this by myself. Um, and I need to know where my community is at. I need to know what more can be done or what it is I'm missing. We don't have all the answers. And I'm not gonna be here forever, right? Someone else is gonna be here. And we need to have the infrastructure in place and the, the tools in place to make sure that we're accessible to every community. That means the unhoused community, the immigrant community, uh, everybody. And I don't think we're there yet. And I think that's the side of the government that could be doing more. We could be doing more to make sure that we reach more people, but we also need people to be plugged in because this work, the bills we pass, this affects everyone's everyday life.
0: Hmm. Councilwoman Sandra Sepulveda, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciated talking with
1: you. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Councilwoman Sandra Sepulveda represents District 30 on the Nashville Metro Council. Hey, District 30 constituents, you got a good one on your hands. Thanks again so much for being with us. And thanks to you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville as a production of Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced and directed by Catherine Ceces. Our board operator is Liv Lombardi. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at thisisnashville, find us on Instagram, and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ecolona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody and be good to each other.